Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. So we are going to open up right now to 1 Samuel chapter 28. Please turn to 1 Samuel 28, and then we're going to pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Once again, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity uh, to learn more about you and your will for our lives, the things you don't want us to do. And Lord, it's all in your word. And so we thank you for breathing out this word. We thank you for also, uh, you know, keeping this word, Lord. Many people try to destroy it, but it's indestructible. And we thank you for that. And so we pray to be open and receptive uh, to the word tonight and also to the work of your spirit in us and through us. I do pray for the gift of teaching that you help me, Father, to rightly divide your word of truth. And at this time, may I decrease and you increase and may you be glorified. And may the people um, who are under the sound of my voice, Father, may they leave this place uh, better than when they came in, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, once again, First Samuel chapter 28, and the title of the message is, Are You Looking for Answers? Are You Looking for Answers? So as people, we are curious creatures. We're very curious. We just like to know things. How do things work? Why did someone get fired? You see somebody being walked out by security at work. What did they do? Why are they getting fired? Just curious. Some people just downright nosy, as some would say. Why is that person upset? What are the best deals in town? We're curious. Who won the game? All these things we, we think of, all these questions we have, we want answers to them because we're curious. And to find these answers, we call people, we text people, we buy books and magazines, we get on the internet, to all, all just to get the answers that we want. And some of us, even in the middle of a conversation, we will stop and ask Siri about something. And I'm talking about myself. We were in one of our staff meetings and and we were reading a book. We're reading a book together. So we have in our staff meetings, we, of course, talk about things going on with the church. We go over the church calendar and things like that. And we have, a, a, you know, a devotional time. So we're going through a book. Um, and sometimes we'll come across a word that nobody knows. And so me, the smarty pants, I start talking into my, I'm not wearing the watch right now, but I start talking into it. Hey, Siri. What does this word mean? And Pastor Jim starts laughing because, you know, I'm, I'm asking Siri about something. But we do that because we're curious. We want answers. And, you know, some of these questions that we ask in life are inconsequential. That means they're not that important. But we'll also encounter some life-changing situations in which there will be 
um, a serious need to get some answers because uh, some of these issues that we face are life-changing. So once again, you have those not-so-serious questions, but then you'll have those life-changing questions that we want answers to. And when it comes to those life-changing questions that we want answers to, what do we do? What do we do in times like that? And the purpose of this study, one of the main topics that the Lord has put on my heart is, of course, are you looking for answers? And so hopefully from this study, we're going to glean the information we need from this study of what do we do in times in which we're looking for those answers to those life-changing circumstances, those things that are serious to us, that keep us up at night, that causes some people to get stressed. And so we want to turn to verse 1 in 1 Samuel chapter 28. We want to begin there. Then, of course, we always want to use the text in the Bible as a springboard for all of the topics and spiritual nuggets that will jump out at us. So it says in verse 1, Now, it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, You assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. So David said to Achish, Surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, therefore, I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. And so this Philistine king wants to make David one of his bodyguards forever. And so in the previous chapter, we're told that David would raid the heathen lands, but he would give Achish, the king of Gath, this Philistine, the impression that he was raiding the lands in Israelites' territory. And so Achish thought that because of that, that he had a servant forever in David because he figured by now these people, his own people are going to hate him. You know, David was, was not being honest, of course, with Achish. And we know that based on the previous study in 1 Samuel 27. But here in these couple of verses that we just read in chapter 28, Achish made it known to David that he expected him to fight alongside him and the Philistines. And David, of course, as we see here, he was he was ready to go to battle. He was ready to to join with Achish and and to align himself with him in fighting against the Israelites. You know, for once in David's mind and and I'm just thinking this for once in his mind, he he was with the king or aligned with the king who was not trying to kill him and who actually appreciated him and his skills as a warrior. Because remember, he didn't have that in King Saul. King Saul obviously didn't appreciate him. He wanted to kill this man. But here you have someone who's supposed to be the real enemy, this Philistine king, and, and he's making David feel at home. And so for once, I can imagine David was feeling at ease. Oh, I'm with the king who's, who's actually not after me. He's not trying to kill me. And just like David, many of us want safety. Many of us want comfort. Many of us want to be appreciated. But are we willing to get those things any way we can get them? From any source, 
it may come. Are we willing to get those things that we're looking for in life? You know, some people want these things so badly that they don't care where they get it from. Like I said, as long as they have them because they didn't get it from the source or sources that they really cared about. And so sometimes you have these, the, the, the youth, for example, especially when I, where I grew up in, in South Central LA, you have the youth who were in a dysfunctional household. And so the, the, they may join these gangs. And so these gangs are, are now taking the place of the functional household they wish they had. Then, of course, you have young ladies and women who, who didn't have a loving father, for example. And so they end up with any type of boyfriend. These boyfriends can be uh, abusive and controlling, but yet and still they'll, they'll stay with them because they didn't have a father who poured the appropriate type of love upon them. And so they'll, they'll get it any way that they could take it. Then, of course, you have some people, some people who had these high expectations in life and they end up getting beat up and smacked down by life. Things don't turn out the way that they expect them to. And so they begin to get on drugs and get addicted to drugs. And so the drugs are now taking the place of those expectations that they, that they had in life. And so that safety, that comfort, that, that, that want, that need to be appreciated or, or any, anything else that people want, they'll, they'll take them from any source that they can get them from. And, and so this kind of reminds me of David. He He's aligned himself with this enemy king, this Philistine king. But he was getting from him what he wasn't getting from King Saul. And now Samuel in verse 3 had died and all Israel had lamented for him. They mourned for him and they buried Samuel and Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums or these necromancers. These are those who would invoke the dead. And he also put the spiritists or fortune tellers out of the land. And then the Philistines gathered together and they came and encamped at Shunem, which is a town in the territory um, that was assigned to the tribe of Issachar, if you look at your Bible maps. And so Saul gathered all Israel together and they encamped at Gilboa. And so Gilboa was or is a mountain ridge that is at the southeastern end of the plain of Jezreel. And in verse five, it says, when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. But why was Saul so afraid of the Philistines? Remember how great of a warrior he was, how brave he was early on in his career. But why is he so afraid of the Philistines right now? Well, he obviously was not in fellowship with the Lord. It was obvious. In Isaiah 57, verses 20 and 21, it says that, that, that the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire or mud and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. And of course, Saul at this point will fall under the category of the wicked. And so he's like this troubled sea. There's no peace for him because he's in the category of the wicked. No fellowship with the Lord. No relationship 
with the Lord. And because of that, this man's mind was not focused on the Lord. And Isaiah, as we stay there in the book of Isaiah, he tells us what happens when our mind is not focused on the Lord. You see there in Isaiah 26, 3, it says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And so this man did not have a relationship with the Lord, didn't have fellowship with the Lord. And then on top of that, his mind was not focused on the Lord. And how could it be with no relationship and not even fellowship with God? But then we see, we see why his mind was not fixed on the Lord. We see why his mind was not stayed on the Lord. And we see that reason that in the second half of Isaiah 26, 3, is because he was not trusting in the Lord. See, those who keep their minds stayed on the Lord, they will experience perfect peace. And any one of the aforementioned points is a disaster, is a recipe for disaster when it comes to being overcome with fear. So in other words, if a person doesn't have fellowship with the Lord, if their mind is not focused on the Lord, if they don't trust in the Lord at all, just just any one of those, like I said, is a recipe for disaster when it comes to being overcome with fear, just like Saul was here. And this could even happen to, happen to Christians when, when there's a disruption in our fellowship with the Lord. And I didn't say loss of relationship. If you're a true believer, the relationship is going to be there. It's going to stay. You don't lose that if you're a true believer. But, of course, the fellowship could be disrupted, of course, by sin, And so this could happen to Christians being overcome by fear when fellowship with the Lord is broken, when we're not on the same page with him or when our minds are not fixed on him, when we're not trusting in him as we should. And so, of course, as a result, we're going to miss out on experiencing that perfect peace that comes only from the God of peace. But now if a person does not put his or her trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, there is no possible way that they can experience the peace of God. And that's because in order to have the peace of God, you have to first have peace with God. And the only way to have peace with God is by repenting and putting your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ. The only way to salvation, the only way to have a relationship with the Father, the only way to heaven And so man, without Jesus, is still in his sins, is still in her sins. And therefore, they don't have that forgiveness applied to their lives. And as long as that's the case, then the reconciliation process is not complete. You see, God is the one with his arms reached out. He, He reached out first to mankind through his son, Jesus, but But many people have, they they still have their backs turned to God. So God, if you can picture this, is looking at the back of people's heads who refuse to repent. 
They refuse to complete that process of reconciliation and have peace with him. Therefore, they're missing out on the peace of God. That peace that passes all understanding. And Saul, King Saul, in our study tonight, he did not have that. And in verse 6, it says, And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. And you may have seen that term before the Urim in your, in your daily reading. People may have talked about it and had all kinds of theories about what the Urim and, and the Thummim may be. And so the Urim and the Thummim, they were probably stones, but they, they were used by the high priest to determine the will of God. And so that was just one way God will reveal his will to the Israelites. But I will say this to Saul's credit. He at least tried to ask the Lord to, to see what needed to be done because these Philistines, are, are, they, they're lining up against him and the Israelites. He's afraid. So like I said, to his credit, he tried to inquire of the Lord. However, we see in the text here, the Lord did not answer him. And he didn't answer him because it was a consequence of Saul rejecting the Lord by all of his disobedient and rebellious actions. We've seen that in the study in 1 Samuel. And Saul's next action, as we continue in the study, is going to reveal that the Lord was right and not answering Saul at all. Because we're going to see that the rebellion in Saul's heart is still there. And so in verse 7. It says, then Saul said to his servants, find me a woman who is a medium or a necromancer that I may go to her and inquire of her. I want to I want to see what to do next. And his servant said to him, in fact, there is a woman who is a medium. At Endor. And so this medium is supposed to be a go between between the living and the dead. In other words, a necromancer. And so verse 8, Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes instead of his royal clothes. And he went and two men with him and they came to the woman by night. And he said, please conduct the seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. And now, according to the word of God, and many of us already know this, trying to communicate with the dead or using a medium is a sin. In fact, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 31, it says, give no regard or don't turn to mediums and familiar spirits or spiritists. In other words, do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord, your God. I've spoken. My word is authoritative. He doesn't need to give a reason for why he says not to do something. I'm the Lord, your God. That's all you need to know. But don't give any regard to them. Don't turn to these mediums. And so, yes, according to the word of God, it is a sin. And King Saul here is sinning. And so to make it applicable to today, I would say to you, my Christian brothers and sisters, or or to anyone who doesn't consider themselves a Christian, I would say stay away from the palm readers, the tarot cards, the Ouija boards. You know, anyone who claims to be fortune tellers or people who claim to be able to reach your dead loved one. I know you miss your loved one, but, but, but leave them alone. Leave them alone. 
Because to tell you the truth, this is demonic. I don't know if anyone put it that way. Many of you are mature in the faith and you know that. It is demonic. And what it will do, just like drugs, it will open the doorway for demonic activity. It will open the doorway for demonic oppression in your life. So stay away from the occult. Stay away from this stuff. Now, some of you are curious, like I said. Many of us are curious, but that's not the way to go about satisfying your curiosity. And you know, at one point, the sad thing about it is at one point, Saul actually agreed with the Lord in regard to mediums or those who consulted the dead to to determine the future. He actually agreed with them because he put them out of the land, as it says earlier in our study. You know, in Leviticus 20, 27, this is what the Lord says, how to deal with them. It says, a man or a woman who is a medium or who has familiar spirits shall be or shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. So the Lord didn't want them in the land. He, di- he didn't want them to infect his people. And like I said, Saul at one point agreed with the Lord by his actions, by putting them out. But now he's in a desperate place. He's looking for answers and he's looking now for a medium. And it's just like some people today. There's some people who give in to things that that they once opposed, they once vehemently, they strongly spoke against uh, certain things. They, they, they firmly spoke against certain lifestyles and they stood on the word of God, but because it was convenient for them or just to please people. Now those things that they were against and they agreed agree with God about, well, now they are allowing those things into their lives. They are accepting those things into their lives. And then they're patting the other people who are supporting those things, who are living those lifestyles. They're patting them on the back. And I said this before, and I'll say it again. When you pat somebody on the back who's living a sinful lifestyle that God clearly called sin, that is very cruel. You think it's loving, but it's cruel. And the reason I say it's cruel is because you're pushing the person further away from the true purposes and blessings that God has for them. It's really a cruel thing to support somebody in their sin. In verse 9, it says, then the woman said to them, look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists or fortune tellers from the land Why then do you lay a snare for me? You lay a trap for my life to cause me to die. And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And this is Um, I admit one of the weirdest portions of scriptures you see in the Bible. And many Bible scholars have different opinions about this. But I want to start with this and we're going to get into greater detail and what's going on here. But here's the question. Why is this medium, the so-called medium, so afraid when she saw Samuel? 
when that was supposed to be her intention to call him up? Why was she so afraid? Could it be that she was always faking when she told people she can contact the dead? Is, is that why she was so surprised and uh, afraid? You know, and there's many people or I will say people in this field of mediums and, and so forth. Um, Cleo and all these folks, they want to give yourself these names. You used to see them two o'clock in the morning on TV and all this stuff. That's how you know you're up too late when you, when you start seeing these folks on these commercials. But people in this field are, are faking. They're straight faking it. They don't have power on their own. They play on people's emotions. They, they share things, in fact, that are common to the human experience. And people are thinking they're talking directly to them. But get this, not only that, many in this field, they get information from demonic spirits that can disguise themselves. Yeah, the scriptures tell us in the New Testament that, that Satan can, can disguise himself as an angel of light. So yes, demons can disguise themselves. And, and I believe that, that many of these people in this field of mediums and, and, and this occultist thing here, they're getting information from demonic spirits who had hundreds and thousands of years to study people in general and to see things that happen in your life. And so, like I said before, don't get involved with this. It's, it's demonic. And we continue in verse 13 where it says, And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? And, and the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending or coming up out of the earth. And so Saul said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is covered with the mantle. And, and Saul perceived, he understood, in other words, that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed. In other words, I'm in serious trouble. For the Philistines make war against me and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, Samuel I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. And so it appears that this is Samuel. Because remember, and this is Samuel who died. And his death, of course, was mentioned earlier in 1 Samuel 25, verse 1. But I believe, once again, this is really Samuel for the following reasons. The first reason is that the medium had a startled reaction. The second reason I think it's him, it's really him, is because the prophecy that, that he's about to give about Saul and his son's death had came to pass. And then you can see that in 1 Samuel 31. So Lord willing, we'll get there. But that prophecy that he shared about Saul's and his son's death had actually come to pass. And then, of course, and this is plain, Verse 15 tells us that Samuel spoke to Saul because it says Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And so those are three reasons that I believe is really Samuel. But I'll say this, that Samuel appearance here, although he's dead, was not the result of the medium's power. But it was the result of God allowing him to appear as an exception to the rule. As an exception to the rule. And so you don't want to make 
uh, the exception, the rule. But God allowed this for a certain purpose. But I want you to notice something that, that, that Samuel said to Saul. And it's the first thing he says, and it's a question. He says, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And I want to park there and discuss that because before Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, all who died went to a place called Hades or Sheol. And Hades or Sheol is simply understood as the realm of the dead. Hades, of course, comes from the Greek. Sheol comes from the Hebrew. And so you'll see Sheol more in the Old Testament, Hades in the New Testament, because the New Testament was written in Greek. It's the original language. But Hades or Sheol was in the heart of the earth. So no, no wonder he said, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? However, at that time, and again, this is before Jesus paid for sins on the cross, before the resurrection, Hades or Sheol at one point was separated into a place of torments and Abraham's bosom. And Abraham's bosom, of course, was a place of comfort. It was a place of blessing. And you get a hint of that from from what Jesus shared in, in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, through 31. Again, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, where it talks about the rich man and Lazarus. And I don't believe that's a parable because Jesus, he doesn't name names in parables. But he named Lazarus, this, this poor, this beggar in Luke chapter 16. And so you can see that there was this great gulf between the place of torments and Abraham's bosom, which was the place of comfort during that time. So Hades or Sheol was split, had a couple of uh, compartments at that time. And so Samuel, of course, would have been in Abraham's bosom because he was not suffering. And he was not suffering based on the statement in verse 15 because he said, why have you disturbed me? If he were in the place, if he were in the torment section, he would have said, thank God for, thank you for bringing me up. But no, he said, why have you disturbed me? And so he was, he, he was disturbed from a place of blessing, from, from his rest, from this place of comfort in, in Abraham's bosom. But I'll say this because some of you may be wondering right now. That right now, because of Jesus' um, um, work on the cross, the fact that he paid for our sin, he died in our place, he was resurrected. Because of that finished work of Christ, I have to say this, that those who have placed their trust in Christ for salvation, that is from the time of his death, burial, and resurrection, uh, from that time on, we immediately go into the presence of the Lord. The scriptures say to be to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present. We go immediately into his presence into heaven right now after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. You know, this place of comfort that we were talking about, this, this Abraham's bosom compartment of Hades has indeed been empty. All of those Old Testament saints, those, those saints who look forward to Christ, we look back to Christ. We look back to the finished work. They, they, they were more looking forward to him. The Messiah hadn't, hadn't come yet. But of course, Jesus paid for the sin. And, and now the place of comfort or the Abraham's bosom side of Hades or Sheol has been empty. He led captivity captive, in other words. And so Hades is now 
only a place of torments. That's the only compartment at this time. It's only a place of torments right now for those who die without trusting in Jesus for salvation. But the scriptures tell us that eventually those in Hades will be brought before the Lord at the great white throne judgment. Because the unbelievers who are in Hades and they're in this place of torment, they're going to receive that their resurrected bodies. That's the second resurrection. We're a part of the first resurrection. We won't suffer the second death. It tells us in Revelation chapter 20. But the people in Hades, they're going to get their resurrected bodies, a part of the second resurrection. And this second resurrection is not good. You don't want to be a part of that. But those in Hades, they will be brought before him at the great white throne. And what's going to happen is that they're going to receive their final sentence in the lake of fire. And that lake of fire, I believe, is what you call Gehenna, or that's the hell that Jesus talked about. And so when, when you look at all the times that Jesus uses the word hell, you look at the Greek, it's Gehenna. And speaking of this lake of fire that you see at the end of Revelation chapter 20, and so Hades and death, the scriptures tell us in Revelation 20, they're going to be cast into that lake of fire. So Hades won't be anymore, won't be no more. But for those of us who are part of the first resurrection, you put your trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. You immediately go into his presence. I want you to know that. In verse 16, it says, then then Samuel says, so why do you ask me? Seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy. And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and he's given it to your neighbor, David. Why? Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor did you execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. And for a reference, you can look at 1 Samuel 15 and see what he's talking about. But moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And here's the accurate prophecy I was talking about earlier. And this is why I believe it is Samuel. And he says, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Not necessarily in Abraham's bosom. But among the dead in the realm of the dead, he's talking about. And the Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. And so not only will Saul die the next day, but also his sons will die. And then they will be in the realm of the dead with Samuel. And additionally, the army of Israel will be defeated because of Saul's disobedience. And so we, we take from this that there are consequences for disobedience to the Lord. There are consequences for that. And unfortunately, uh, Saul suffered from that, from those consequences, but he brought it upon himself. In verse 20, it says, immediately Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him for he had now, he had eaten no food all day or all night. And the woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled and said to him, look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice and I have put my life in my hands. I risked my life and I listened to the words which you've spoken to me. Now, therefore, please heed also the voice of your maidservant and let me set a piece of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. But Saul refused and he said, I will not eat. 
So his servants together with the woman, they urged him and he listened. He heeded their voice. Then he arose from the ground and he sat upon the bed or the couch. Now the woman had a fatted calf in the house and she hastened to kill it. And she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened, unleavened bread from it. So no yeast in it. So she brought it before Saul and his servants and they ate. Then they arose and they went away that night. All this news, this news that Saul heard was devastating. Oh, he heard that, that he and his sons were going to die the next day. You know, that's, that's very troubling to, to know exactly when you're going to die. And so it was troubling to him. And, and he also heard that he and Israel were going to lose this battle against the Philistine army. Oh, this caused so much fear and so much grief to well up in Saul. And the, the scriptures tell us that it affected him so much that he fell out on the ground. And he even had no appetite to eat until the woman and the servants kept on urging him. They kept insisting that he would put something in his belly. But, but notice that fear, that grief. Oh, he took that news seriously. And, and I would say this, that. This should also be the response of people who hear of a very serious topic, another serious topic, and that topic is hell. Oh, oh people who, who hear that they're on their way to hell if they don't receive Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, oh, that should be their response as well. And that should cause great grief and, and fear in them because hell in the Scriptures And Jesus talked a lot about hell. It is described as a place where there will be fire that will never be put out. Described as a place where there will be suffering for the soul and body. We talked about that a little bit, how they'll, you know, receive their resurrected body. That's part of the second resurrection. Oh, it'll be a place for the condemned. The word also tells us that it is a place of eternal, of course, torment. We know that. It is a place of outer darkness. So think of that. It's dark. It's hot. The worst thing about hell, of course, would, would be that, that you don't have that relational presence of the Lord there. And then, of course, the people who will be there, they'll be able to feel Because it says they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. They'll be able to feel. They'll be able to remember. There'll be emotions. There'll be regret. It's not a fun place. And so that their reaction should be the same as Saul when he heard that bad news about him and his sons in Israel. But hell originally, and this came from the mouth of Jesus Christ. It was not originally made for humans. It was made for the devil and his angels originally, Matthew 25, 41. But people who rebel against God, people who refuse to receive Jesus, the only way to salvation, they're going to end up in that place. It's unfortunately, unfortunate. It's sad to talk about. And it's crazy that preachers, not all preachers talk about it or even believe that there is a literal hell. Because when they go against what the Bible teaches, then, then what they're really saying is, I, I serve this Jesus, but I disagree with him. How can you disagree with somebody you say you serve? But yes, 
God is judge. He is judge, but he does not randomly send people to hell. It's not picking and choosing who to send to hell. People choose to go by not choosing the way, the truth, and the life, who is Jesus Christ. They choose to go by saying no to Jesus. And so God gives them what they want. God gives people free will. And so if you don't want me, then you're choosing that. And so I'll give you what you want. But there's people who will still complain. But the complainers who, who, was, who would complain about this, I, I would ask them this. I would say, if you don't want anything to do with the Lord on this side of eternity, then why would a loving God who gives you free will force you to be with him in eternity? You don't want me on this side. Why would you want to spend eternity with me in heaven? Why would you want that? I'm not going to force you to be there. And so therefore, the doctrine that teaches, and this is a doctrine, unfortunately, that's going around today and it's demonic, but that doctrine that teaches that everyone will get to heaven regardless of their beliefs is a false doctrine. That's called universalism. It's it's from the enemy. It's from the pit of hell. It's demonic. And what it does is it spits in the face of God because it tells God that his son Jesus and his sacrifice was not good enough. It tells God that Jesus died on that cross for nothing, for no apparent reason. See, when you talk about the cross, you have to talk about sin. You have to talk about hell. When you tell people to praise the Lord for their salvation, you have to talk about sin. You have to talk about hell. You have to know what you've been saved from. Oh, but people who reject it, it spits in his face. It spits in the face of his son. But in this lesson, we, we saw a man in Saul who was desperate for answers. And he was desperate for answers because the Philistine army was ready to fight against him and the Israelites. And, and at this point, as, as you recall from the study, uh, Samuel was dead. So Saul couldn't just show up at his house. Couldn't just show up there and ask questions. And, and God wasn't revealing anything to Saul in his dreams. God haven't even sent, uh, sent a prophet to tell him what thus saith the Lord. And so, uh, so Saul was thirsty of course, for answers we saw in this lesson, and he couldn't even discern the will of God from the Urim. In fact, the only surviving priest, because remember, Saul had the rest of them killed, but the only surviving priest, Abiathar, he was with David. And so the original Urim was with Abiathar. And so this man, he just couldn't find the answers that he was looking for. Oh, and like Saul Oh, today people are looking for answers. And so I want to ask you, are you going through something that makes you want to cry out for answers? What are you going through that makes you want to cry out to God and say, God, I need some answers to this. See, God, every, everything seems to be going against me. And, and Lord, I don't know why. I need some reasons. I need An answer of why everything seems to be against me. Some of you feel like every test that comes your way in life is a test that you failed. You don't don't feel like you've been passing any tests. And so, Lord, I want to figure out how can I pass these exams, these tests of life that come my way. 
And so you have these questions that you need answers to. And, and these are life-changing answers that you need. And oh, some of you have been even suffering for a while and you wonder why. And you wonder if there's even an end in sight to the suffering that you're, that you're experiencing on this side of heaven. And so you need some answers. When some people, and, and I dare even to say that, unfortunately, some people even in the church have tried horoscopes, have, have looked to the so-called prophet who fleeces the flock on, on, on TV and these infomercials, whatever they may be. They, they, they've looked to other so-called holy books to see if they can find an answer to their life-changing questions. They've even tried the palm readings, even people in the church. Or you may have even gone to a God-fearing pastor or other Christian who truly has a relationship with the Lord. And there's nothing wrong, by the way, with, with, with seeking godly counsel. But have you talked to the Lord lately? Have you talked to the Lord lately? Have you sought his counsel in his word? Have you sought his counsel through prayer, Lord? Some of you may ask, what is your purpose for my life? Well, have you sought his counsel? Have you sought the answer in his word or through prayer? Some of you are wondering, Lord, if there anything you want me to do or stop doing, well, go to the Lord about that. Go to the Lord about it. And it's okay because the Lord wants us to come to him in prayer. In fact, in, in Proverbs fifteen eight. It says this, it says, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. It pleases him when we go to him in prayer. Why wouldn't we go to him in prayer to find the answers that we're looking for? It is his delight. Now, I don't know about you, but, but, but isn't it cool when your children call you or come to you just to talk and seek your advice? I have a, I have a, I want to say child, but a young man, he, he's my child, my son, out of college, engineer, doing well, working on his master's. I have another son still in college. He's, he's at Stanford right now. Last, he's about to graduate, play football for them, have a daughter in the army. And I, I have a 13 year old at home. I'm not going to leave him out. But, but, but the, I'm just speaking of those older ones who are out the house in the army and in school and in their careers and everything. They, they still call me just to check on me, just to talk to me and, and even ask me Bible questions. That's, that's such a blessing to me that they will call dad that they grew up with. <laughs> you know, sometimes they, they, you know, when they're in the household, they get tired of hearing dad's voice. But they're out of the home and they and they call and say, Dad, is this a good Bible to get? Is this a good version? What, what, what does this mean? The, you know, blaspheming, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, stuff like that. And and they still and it's such a blessing. And so I, I can only imagine God, how much he loves it when we would just spend time with him and talk to him and go to him for those life changing questions. Oh, just to seek those answers from him. Such I'm sure that this blesses the Lord as the worship team comes to the stage. And, you know, as a Christian, maybe maybe you've been hesitant lately to go to God in prayer for your answers. Or, or maybe 
You're intimidated because you feel like other people's prayers seem to get through, but not yours. But be assured that that God hears the prayers of the righteous. You may not get the answers when you think you should, but they're going to be on time. He hears the prayers of the righteous. So, so believer, God hears your prayers. And so that brings me to the question, who are the righteous? Well, I gave you a hint. I said, believer. In Romans 4, 5, just to make it plain, it says, to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteous. Now, that, that word justifies means declared righteous. And so those of us who repented and we put our trust or put our faith in Christ, our faith is accounted for righteousness. We are declared righteous to God. And so, yes, God hears the prayers of the righteous, the believers, the justified, the the Bible-believing Christians, the true Christians, not the ones in name only. Because Jesus even talks about there's some who professes to be believers, but they're not you know, he said, I never knew you. So that's, a, that's another lesson. But I'll say this, if you're a believer, and many of you are, most of you are, I know many of you. And those of you who are watching, I'll say this for the believer. If there is any unconfessed sin in our lives, I'll say this, it is going to hinder our prayers. Like I said, the relationship is still there, but our, our fellowship with him is going to be hindered and it's going to hinder our prayers. And, and I would say this, believer, brother and sister in Christ, I speak to myself as well, that if that's the case with you, if that's the case with me, if there is unconfessed sin, and the, then we need to repent and don't do what Saul didn't do when he had the opportunity. He should have repented when he had the opportunity. But don't be like that. So if that's the case with you, if there's unconfessed sin, repent. Because it says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. In other words, it's talking about unconfessed sin in Psalm 66, 18. Now, what about those of you who have not received Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord? Or what about you or Are you looking for answers to the tough questions about life? Now, if you haven't made that decision to put your trust in Jesus Christ, to repent, to turn from sin, turn to him. If you haven't made that decision, I would say do that. Repent and put your trust in him. And you're going to be blessed with that relationship with the heavenly father. And you'll be able to go to him anytime. For those answers you have in life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you gave us the opportunity to repent. But we even thank you, Lord, for those who will consider themselves non believers at this time. But I thank you, Lord, that you're so merciful that you allow them to live and take breath after breath because you do desire people to be saved, all men to be saved. That is your desire. That is your perfect will. But you know, Lord, that some people will reject it and 
But I pray for those, Lord, who may not be believers at this time, that you would convict them, Lord, that you would draw them to Jesus. And Lord, for the believer who has questions and they've been going round and round in circles and they feel like they've just been waiting for such a long time that they're almost on the verge of just giving up and just throwing in the towel. They're discouraged to the point of not even wanting to open the scriptures. Maybe they don't feel like they're getting anything from it, no answers from it. Maybe they feel like their prayers are not getting past the ceiling of their homes or the sanctuary. But I pray, Lord, that they will know that you delight in their prayers, that you do hear the prayers of the righteous and that the answer will come in your timing. And so I pray that you would comfort. I pray that you would bless. I pray that you restore and heal, Father. I, I pray for those who are oppressed by the enemy, that you lift that oppression. I pray for those who are depressed, Lord, that you would dig up and remove whatever is within them that's causing the depression, Lord, that you would remove the root cause. Father, remind them that you are with them and that you'll never leave them nor forsake them. And bless them, I pray, as they leave this place, but never your presence. Bless them with traveling grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.